Welcome to My Fertility Journey, Life Chats with Bianca Bullissian. Hello, and thank you for tuning into the show this week. The live chat today was with John Noviski. I was really so, so happy to have a man on the show to share his perspective into his fertility journey. In the TTC community, we share so much from the female side of the story. So this conversation was both so refreshing because John is a really pleasant person to chat with and also very enlightening. John and his wife have battled through various different issues connected to fertility, which have provided them an unfortunate yet huge experience with dealing with the medical system, medications, surgeries, and different treatments. John shared his thoughts about some inequality in the system, which I was totally not aware of, differences in approach within fertility clinics when dealing with overweight patients, and also some mental health struggles. It's all in all a great episode to listen to and also share with anyone you think might be dealing alone with issues to conceive. Men are usually not great at sharing, so listening to this might give them a bit of peace and comfort. All right. Hello, John. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here and being open to share your story. I'm excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Yes. So if you don't mind, we'll start right off the bat with a a good um, hard question, which is when you were first um, introduced as a young man to like into sexual life, how were the concepts of like how you would conceive a child and or make a girl pregnant? Like how were those concepts put onto you by society, by your friends, by your family? And how did you deal with that as a young man? So my first experience with that would be um, through the scope of uh, religion and very uh, conservative uh, ways to describe like everything you said in terms of uh, my understanding of conception and so on. And then when I was enrolled into uh, public school, we had sex education and so forth. And my mom was a little bit more um, descriptive. Um, my dad really never uh, told me much about anything regarding that. But from an early age, I realized that I had uh, endocrine problems. So I knew I knew from the uh, I knew from the beginning that. Uh, there, there might be some problems down the road as well. So it wasn't something that caught me off guard. Oh, so. that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Cause that was going to be my, my next question. Cause I'm sure as a, as a young man, you probably had the experience of like having to be careful or hear that one needs to be careful because it's so easy, right. For teenagers to, to get pregnant. And then my question was going to be like how surprised you were when it wasn't happening. So I guess if you weren't surprised, like where were the symptoms, what were the things that you were battling with um, when you were younger that indicated towards that? So I had um, a small case of gynecomastia, which is swelling of the nipples. I also had um, I also had some bloating and different things. And 
medicine at that point in time was very cut and dry. They chalked that up to just, oh, you just had a surge of hormones, etc. Um, this is normal, to which some of that stuff is normal, but it it's also should be concerning. And the fact that I wasn't referred to uh, an endocrinologist until much, much later, um, when I was battling other health conditions, it, uh, it, it definitely wasn't a surprise to me. And okay. I believe that during this time um, right now, medicine is a little bit more preemptive and not as reactive. And I believe I would have had a much better outcome if I were to be uh, born later versus when I was. How old were you roughly when, um, when you were diagnosed properly? That, that's a tricky question because um, I had some other health problems that uh, were going on at the time. I was diagnosed with uh, autoimmune disease at uh, 22, it was either 22 or 23 years old. And when I look back at it, that's when um, they're first were abnormalities that were concerning to some of the doctors um, that were examining my case. And then only, I would say, six to seven years after that, I started getting more thorough diagnostics. And that's when I, I found out that uh, I had uh, hypopituitarism, which is basically, it just means your pituitary gland is... Uh, um, dysfunctional for whatever reason, there was swelling and shrinking in mine. And the pituitary gland is interesting because it, it uh, releases what are called secretagogues, which are almost like a precursor hormone. So like luteinizing hormone will lead to the uh, production of testosterone and sperm. And it, it just has a lot of uh, ramifications that uh, even when treated, things don't work exactly how they should. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm sure you had to learn a lot about that since you you found out. And um, how much do you feel like you had to advocate for yourself to, like you said, you know, in the beginning, the doctor sort of brushing things off and, um, or was it just a natural sort of course of things? And then you started getting treatment? Yeah, it was basically 100% me. Nobody else is going to fix these problems for you. Um, so, some people will, will inform you that you do have a problem, but when it comes to uh, anything related to your endocrine system, um, it's, 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 a very difficult, um, it's a very difficult part of medicine. And depending on what specialist you go to will really dictate your treatment options and plan. And on the male side, there's a number of, uh, of problems that we experience that I don't believe that women encounter, at least not at this time. And I don't want to make um, assumptions, but I do have a theory that um, women definitely have a, a more innate instinctual drive to reproduce. And that's led to some uh, activism in that realm. So I'll give you a really good example of this. I worked at a highly unionized environment where people spoke about equality and uh, 
uh, and it had a very egalitarian um, feel to the to the union and the workplace. And I uh, I was prescribed a drug called uh, human chloronatic gonadotropin, and this drug is a uh, secretagogue that you might be familiar familiar with in terms of the realm of fertility. And this is uh, this is a drug that's not often prescribed in men. Uh, it has a very narrow scope, and sometimes it's used in hormone replacement. And then the mainstay would be uh, fertility. And when I went to the pharmacy, I had one of the best drug plans that you, you, you could possibly have. And they said, oh, it's not covered. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And, um, and then they said, oh, there's a special form you got to fill out. And so I fill it out, still won't, uh, uh, still have my claim denied. And this repeated. Um, and then finally, um, I, I was giving up on it. And uh, I was on a, uh, a fertility support group. And there was a woman um, that had a spouse that also worked at my uh, at my place of employment, and she told me that uh, th this doesn't make any sense. Um, it says 100% of fertility drugs are covered, 100%. And I was like, you know, this is kind of confusing. So I brought it forth to my uh, union committee, and they're like, okay, we'll look into it. And it led to this whole back and forth battle, and. Finally, um, I wasn't getting any traction with it. I went to the uh, union executive's office and they told me that um, the union had not done their due diligence in selecting a plan with the employer. So if I wanted to um, take steps to try to find a resolution to this, I'd have to hire my own legal counsel and go in alone oh, wow. and because they would be implicated and he wasn't supposed to tell me that. This is just something, since he was my friend, he told me that, look, we aren't going to advocate for you. And frankly, after that, he said, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of support for your problem because wow. people were looking at it as this is something that's elective. And I, and I immediately informed him that, look, 100% of the women's fertility drugs are covered. And this is something as a man, you will find again and again and again. And not to say um, our journey is more difficult. Women definitely have the, <laughs> the <laughs> raw side of the deal, but we've just, as men, we've we've let ourselves down in, in a big way, not advocating for any of these issues and hiding and uh, feel feeling uh, guilty and embarrassed and all these uh, other emotions that drive us to. Uh, to hide any of these problems when it just fur further exacerbates the problem. Yeah, so exactly. I, I don't mean to run on here, but this is definitely no. the most interesting point. And I found this, um, um, this was just uh, something that repeated itself over again in many different ways. It's so interesting. And that's why like, I'm so happy and grateful that you that you're coming in with that point of view, because a lot of the times, the the inequality you're talking about, weighs more negatively towards women, just in general in the world, right. But then there are some instances where in this case, for example, that you're describing where it's the other way around. And and we do need to make sure that everyone's getting fair, a fair deal, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And and if you do have a drug plan that that covers fertility drugs, 
then first of all, you're super lucky um, as a as a couple. But the we the don't fact have it that now. It's not all oh, that <laughs> yeah. sucks. Yeah, <laughs> that sucks. Okay, we'll talk about that soon. But the the fact that it's not balanced, it's it's just so frustrating. But I'm glad that you had the the. What's the end of that story? Were you able to get the the drugs? No. So no. The end of that story was my wife's plan, which has a cap, um, mm. had to pay for those drugs. And then I, uh, I had a number of problems with that employer um, regarding my other health problems and going to appointments. They um, harassed me and uh, definitely retaliated against me for missing uh, work and, um, wow. and having absences uh, repeatedly. And that, that's a whole other aspect of the story. But um, I, I felt as that employer, they, they felt like what I was doing was elective and it should be done on my own time. And it, uh, it wasn't a valid medical problem. Wow. That, 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 and they never told me that in certain terms, but that's just the uh, feeling that I, I had a strong feeling that that was the case. Yes, yes. Yeah, that is that can be frustrating. I think that's something that women struggle with, too. Um, so if we fast forward, then um, from that part of phase of your life where you're battling and finding out all these issues and trying to, to troubleshoot, um, when and how did you meet your wife? And then how did your fertility journey starts together? So my uh, wife and I have been together for 12 years now, and um, she, a very career-oriented woman, um, she uh, very focused on achievement in her career. So we put off having kids like many people do. Um, What we failed to realize is that um, due to her um, uh, endocrine and fertility problems, which we were aware of, we just weren't aware of the severity of them, uh, that uh, it uh, became increasingly uh, um, more urgent to um, start the process. So after, I want to say, I want to say about six years ago, we started investigating different avenues. And we decided to go with the the least invasive approach, which obviously fertility drugs and um, uh, improving one's health quality of life with the hopes of uh, conceiving a child, but that, that ended up failing. The, the, the negative part about that, I should say, is that um, we, got, we kind of got caught up in that too long. And my wife has a number of, uh, of health problems, uh, hypothyroidism, PCOS, endometriosis and um, it just clearing up those illnesses and treating them took around four or five years so by the time even though we had tried to start this journey around 28 or 29 it it had taken that amount of time just to get to the uh, phase where we could try IUI we could try IVF and what I would warn any younger couples is if you're trying to have a child and you do it after the age of 30, it will become increasingly more difficult and it will, it will take um, an immense amount of time and effort. And I can't underscore that enough. 
And I understand that people have careers and financial issues and so on. And the time will never be perfect. But if we had to go back, we would have started this um, process earlier, even though we felt at that time that we had done everything right. In retrospect, we did not. Yeah, well, hindsight is always mean, <laughs> mean. Um, what were the the strategies and and things that you guys changed in your that you applied and changed in your life through these those years, where you so, weren't doing anything invasive, right? So, due to my endocrine problems um, on my side, um, I was on hormone replacement uh, therapy which if you're not familiar with it, hormone replacement therapy is where you replace the main sex hormone, which would be testosterone with, um, with exogenous testosterone, which that's a fancy term for testosterone that's produced outside the body. And mm -hmm. um, what you need to understand in this part of the story is that when you take exogenous testosterone, it takes, um, it has a reverse loop which means that it shuts off the production of sperm, um, at least um, the majority of the sperm production. So um, I went to a urologist and he placed me on HCG. And H HCG is an interesting drug because some people take it and they feel euphoric and great and uh, they feel like it improves the quality of their life. For myself, it it didn't work out that way. I, I became bloated and irritable. And um, it was uh, um, almost uh, PMS-like symptoms 24-7, <laughs> inability to sleep, uh, grumpiness, uh, uh, not a very... Uh, not a very pleasant person to live with. And I, <laughs> and I did that for more than a year, but the oh problem at that point is my wife's um, medical conditions were not treated um, within that, that time frame. So that meant that the whole time I was doing that, it was in vain. So, wow. um, so after that, I chose to go back on uh, hormone replacement just due to the negative effects on my life were profound to say the least. Um, there was uh, I was involved in a car accident, which I almost 100% can pin the blame on being on that drug for mm. uh, a longer amount of time than I should have. Wow. And this is when we start started looking into other options, especially when I realized that even though my sperm count did go up to a decent level, um, I wouldn't say good, but decent um, enough to try IUI. Um, it had gone down just as fast as it came up, um, wow. or I should say faster than it came up. And it left us in a bad spot where IUI wasn't on the table. And even though my wife was improving her situation, mine had um, gone downhill at the same time. So that's when we started looking into uh, other avenues. And there was also other factors at play, which were uh, um, some genetic factors in my family. Um, uh, so I'm a, I'm a carrier of genetic disease as well. And then there was the fact that my sperm count was very low. And even if I were to go on HCG, the time frame wouldn't allow for us to um, be in that window where we would have a um, a decent chance at conception. So that's when we looked at uh, 
different options. Um, and that's when we decided to go with a sperm donor. And okay. That at opens up point, a whole. At this point, while you're doing all of this, were you with the fertility clinic or still the specialists that were, that were treating you from before? We got bounced around quite a bit. So oh, um, we were at, yeah, so my wife's uh, OBGYN um, started her journey with uh, medications to try to stabilize and treat her illnesses. And at the same time, um, there was a referral to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is a big lumbering giant and they take forever to do anything. Mm. Um, and then we had a number of problems along the way. Um, one of them being uh, something I wanted to talk about on the show, which is the BMI chart that Mount Sinai uses, which has no basis in any science and it's purely a means to discriminate against women that are simply of a different physique than another so my my wife's a larger woman she plays rugby is she slightly overweight yes is it going to affect her fertility no and there's no evidence to indicate that so we had to deal with um, discrimination on both sides from early on and that really affects your psyche especially yes. when you're dealing with anything uh, medically related. And most people at some point in their life will uh, encounter something along that lines and, and they can sympathize with that. And it's, uh, that, that, that was a very difficult moment for, for my wife and I. And then at the same time that they said that, they said that she was at a very high risk because of her endometriosis, which had spread to regional at that point. And this is when we were referred and we saw a subspecialist at Mount Sinai in uh, their fertility clinic there. And we found out another, another very startling fact, which was that uh, the subspecialist said, why, why haven't you had a biopsy? Or they originally said, where is the biopsy? And my wife's like, what biopsy? And they're like, well, you should have had a biopsy. Your lining's thick. Um, you know, you're in a extremely high, uh, high risk group for um, cancer and you definitely have uh, endometrial hyperplasia and all these different terms are getting thrown out and then the word cancer gets thrown out and so we left that appointment just like in a state of anxiety and stress and without with, with fewer answers than we had when we came there and more questions so that led to just a state of panic and then the next year and a half two years was just spent doing surgeries and hormones and stuff to try to uh, treat those issues that um, depending on which doctor we talked to was cancerous or not. I mean, wow. it doesn't really matter because when those words start getting thrown around, I mean, it just causes a lot of stress. Yes. So it went back and forth. And um, so after that, um, we had become increasingly um, disappointed with the service that Mount Sinai had uh, provided and we decided to go with Create Fertility, which um, one of our friends conceived both of her children through. And they got us in much faster. They were much more personable. Um, their costs were lower. And uh, in, in retrospect, I don't know why anybody that has a budget would go with Mount Sinai because <laughs> some of their costs are like over 40% more yeah. than um yeah creates. that's so interesting i had i had the same experience too the first clinic that we that we went to was 
much more expensive. And then the same thing, I was recommended by a friend that today has um, two kids from Create as well. And yes, much more on budget and and quite more personable treatment and service as well. So we've had um, similar experiences, I guess. What do you feel like the 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 reason like it seems like they're hiding behind this BMI chart and and like you said with no science behind it yeah what do you what do you feel like it is why it's, is it so different the two the experience between the two clinics that are ultimately just trying to do the same thing some of it lies in the cultural aspect to that institution anybody that works in a healthcare facility like I have before um, will know that some of these institutions are hijacked by zealots, whether they be anti-smoking zealots, you know, um, obesity zealots. And these people, they, they use the platform of the administration in the hospital to, um, they use that as a means to claim moral superiority. And it's, it's, um, Really, it, it's just vested in the uh, in in them claiming moral superiority and using their position of authority to advocate for things that they think are right. And and then on your the position that you were in, you either leave, I guess, which is what you guys did eventually, or you have to drop a certain amount of weight to meet their chart. Is that what the process is? Yeah. So my, my wife, and this is the the difficult part. So my wife has medical conditions, which cause weight gain, hypothyroidism. And it's not like she was living a, um, an unhealthy lifestyle or, or anything like that. And it was purely due to these medical conditions. So I, I feel like she was essentially punished and discriminated upon for being sick, which yes is the exact opposite thing that a hospital should do. Oh, no kidding. And there's not a lot of science that backs any of this stuff up. And I'll give you a good example of this. Um, Hospitals growing up used to have a spot you could smoke smoke tobacco in or use an e-cigarette in. And they decided that we're not going to have that on any of our property. And now you have people smoking at the, uh, at, you know, at the entrance of the hospital and you have to drive past these big crowds and they've just exacerbated the problem when they could have had a spot where they could intervene and try to help these people, but they just punish them and push them further out into the periphery. That's a, that's a very interesting um, analogy and comparison. I like it. It's um it's so painful to see how some of these conditions are so um, misunderstood in terms of like the side effects and things that they bring. Or sometimes it's not the condition itself, but it's maybe the drugs that you're on because of the condition that make you put on weight or um or lose too much weight. Like who knows whatever it is, and it's just so poorly looked at. And the victims are always to blame, right? It's always the patient that is looked at badly and made feel, like you said, right? Like the stress and the embarrassment and the frustration. So I'm really sorry that you guys had to go through that. Going through the sort of through all of this, like it's no joke, everything that you guys been through. How do you cope on your own? 
as you know the one part of the of the couple and how do you guys cope together in your relationship well i i won't lie i've been um I've been dealing with mental health issues before this, so I wasn't on a very stable footing to begin with. And even the, even people that have the strongest mental fortitude going into something like this, it'll eventually wear you down, and uh, you'll you'll end up in a miserable crying heap on the floor eventually. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I definitely had my moments. Um, my wife's been uh, very supportive, and uh, I will say for her, since this has been um, ongoing for many more years than it has for me that she is pretty much checked out emotionally and she's very numb and uh, to it. So that's concerning at the same point. So she can be there for me, but then I'm also concerned that uh, this isn't a good state of mind to be in. Um, and I'm hoping that it's purely compartmentalization and she's handling it appropriately but on the other side i i worry um i i have an immense amount of worry that uh it, it isn't as well yeah that's it's a very tricky thing and um clinics sometimes have right the counselors and everything to to support us and mental health during fertility journey is a is a big deal and and it should be talked about more too it goes back to what you were saying before as well of how we like we feel this shame and this guilt and we hide we don't talk about it and i think probably men maybe even more right than than women we just tend to just as it it's just our nature that we talk more i guess <laughs> just and in general as well. and yes yeah and and just really try to to bring forth that this is really it is mentally debilitating and and not dealing with it like you said is it is worrying so yeah thanks thanks for for sharing that so Next, I wanted to ask, like, you've been through a lot since very young, it seems. And how do you feel like the fact that you you want to have a family and have a baby with your wife? And it seems like you guys are like such a, a good couple for battling this strongly together. How has it changed you as a person? It, it's definitely given me a different outlook on uh others that have uh, dealt with the same uh, the same set of problems and um, much more empathy and sympathy and I'm much more careful in how I ask questions to not have negative ramifications when it deals with um, something I look at uh, my my wife works in healthcare and she sees patients every day and um, and these patients they're they're very um they mean well their intentions are are good but they'll constantly say oh you're so good with kids where are your kids and blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. and it just it's heartbreaking that's something i definitely uh do and it's also there, there's a lot of negative statistics attached to fertility and ivf but on the flip side to that is if you do make it through this um this process intact, it will 100% give you quite a bit more stability in your relationship because there's not much more that can go wrong besides like a life-threatening uh, health condition or situation than, than this in terms of its uh, 
impact uh, psychologically and physically. Yeah, definitely. It does. It, it, it builds us um, as people and then it builds us stronger as a couple as well. I find, like you said, if you, if you survive the, the, the statistics for divorce of IVF uh, couples not is, is not good. <laughs> yeah. That's why we have to keep talking, man. We have to keep it, just let it out. So, you know, we, we stay together. We stay together. So to, to wrap it up, firstly, would, is there anything else about your, your journey and um, you and your wife that you would like to, to share? Um, there there is one other thing, um, with, and this has to do with men's health in general, not just fertility. I worked in a, in a workplace before where it was very male dominated, very masculine factory. And, and I'm, I'm fairly open person, so I don't really mix very well in that environment, but something funny happened where. Um, one of my friends there, he, he was dealing with uh, erectile dysfunction and sexual dysfunction. And I told him about hormone replacement. I told him about all these different options and et cetera. And a couple months later, he comes back to me and he thanks me. And he goes, you know, like, I feel so much better. I'm on hormone replacement. I feel great. And all of a sudden, all these other men start coming up to me <laughs> with the same problem. And it's just like, and, and you realize that this isn't something that's isolated. And one of the things that really stops men right now that I feel is extremely negative is the criminalization of the sex hormone testosterone, because it's considered a controlled substance and it's very taboo. Um, it's not accepted in sport. It's not accepted um, in uh, any uh, social setting to talk about anything regarding that. And it, it has extreme uh, negative fallout across the board. And that's something that needs to be addressed because as more as there's more studies, which testosterone has been studied uh, comprehensively, like 360 degrees. And if it's when it's used appropriately, it can have profoundly positive effects. I feel like there is um, the legal component of it that hinders patients coming forward and seeking help. Then it's also taboo um, as well. So it's very, um, it's a very difficult topic to uh, start your journey into. But it it really needs to just be talked about, I guess, <laughs> what I'm getting at. Yes, absolutely. That's very interesting. Yeah, I didn't know like all the aspects of that. But I do remember, um, I have a friend, a male friend, and he shared with me that he went to his family doctor, um, just, you know, because of his age, like mid 40s and such. And um, he, he's not having kids. But he said, you know, maybe we should I'm at this age, you know, and maybe we should test my testosterone. And the family doctor is like, do you want to have kids? Like, are you d- doing anything about that? And he's like, no, he's like, oh, no, so that's not important. And that's just like mind blowing because your hormones dictate so much of your metabolism in your body. And like from everything that you share today, it's like everything is so complex. It's beyond my understanding, all of your conditions, but it really shows how you're um, if your hormones are not in check, like so much can go wrong beyond your rep- your reproductive abilities or whatnot. Right. 
Oh, 100%. Anybody that works in the, uh, in the fitness industry will tell you that they have had clients that do everything right, adhere to nutrition plans, exercise plans, um, programming, I should say, and they have no results whatsoever. And you can tie almost 100% of this back to endocrine-related problems. And if they're having that much effect physically, you could only imagine mentally and every other aspect of your life. So if that's not addressed, uh, nothing will fall into place. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. So to wrap it up, John, um, such a good conversation. Thank you so much. I wanted to know if there is anything that you would like to share with the listeners that like if it like uh, someone that you look up to, it could be someone famous or a family member or a quote or a book, anything that maybe had has helped you or inspired you during this um, long journey when you felt maybe like a bit lost or alone or hopeless? One word of advice I would give is to never invest too much um, into what one healthcare professional says and to keep going forth and seeking new answers if you're not happy with that. Um, like you had just stated with um, your male friend that was inquiring about hormone replacement, I have heard this from so many men dealing with the same problem where their doctor immediately just says, uh, no, that's not appropriate for you. Go to a different clinic. There's many clinics that specialize in hormone replacement and uh, get different answers. Your GP can't have the best understanding of all aspects of medicine. So um, seek referrals, uh, seek other professional opinions and find what's best for you to treat your problems. That's great advice. Thank you so much. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. Again, I do. I know that you guys are going through a lot still and in the midst of tests and, and appointments and, and trying to figure things out. And I do hope that you guys have success at Create. And maybe we'll have you back um, and, and just like share hopefully the end of a good story and and we'll we'll be in touch from here on 100 thanks so much for having me and uh i really appreciate it i think it's something that should be talked about more yes absolutely thank you so much awesome thanks bye all right how about that for experience it's so inspiring to hear John's story and how through all these years he has grown so much, learned how to advocate for himself and just blew my mind how much he knows about his condition, the medications involved and yeah, it was just such a pleasure to, to share this time with him and I'm grateful for him sharing his time with us. I hope that you felt this was a conversation worth hearing and worth sharing because there are a lot of men out there that are suffering in silence. So share John's story to help support them, spread the word, and keep creating better awareness around this subject because it's not only women that suffer through this. Men either suffer through their conditions in silence or they suffer because 
they are suffering for their partners in silence. So yes, it was just such a pleasure. And yeah, I hope that you enjoyed this and I will see you guys next week. This podcast wouldn't be up and running if it wasn't for the help of a few very special people. You can find my special thanks to them all at myfertilityjourney.ca. And if you want to keep in touch, find me on Instagram on at myfertilityjourney.ca. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, leave a review to support the show, and share it with anyone you think might benefit from it. Love you all and I'll see you soon.